Welcome to the Books and Bites podcast. Each month, we bring you book recommendations and discuss the bites and beverages to pair with them. I'm Carrie Green, and I'm here with my co-host, Michael Cunningham, and our new co-host, Jacqueline Cooper. Hello. Hi, everybody. So you may remember Jacqueline from episode 62. She joined us on the Diverse Award Winners podcast. She is the teen librarian at JCPL, and she has kindly agreed to step in for Adam, who, as we mentioned on the last episode, has left us for another position. But welcome, Jacqueline. We're glad to have you. Thank you. It's great to be here. So today we're talking about the seventh prompt on the 2022 Books and Bites Reading Challenge, a book that takes place near the ocean. We chose this prompt because this year's summer learning theme is Ocean of Possibilities. And I think it also leaves plenty of room for all the beach reads that are so popular this time of year. Do y'all enjoy reading books about with ocean settings? Oh, yes. Because, well, there's a lot of horror out there that takes place <laughs> near or in the ocean. So... Yes, I enjoy it too. There's a lot of mermaid books and books about irons, and I really like just being on the beach and reading. So mm-hmm. uh, books like the one I'm going to talk about today just puts me right back there. Yeah, so it's I guess there's a little something for everyone with an ocean setting because you can do scary and you can do more fantasy like mermaids, and you can also do the cozy like. I don't know, classic summer read. You know, there's all these books with pictures of cottages yep. <laughs> on the beach. <laughs> so I'm not sure. I can't think of who the authors are, but that's kind of what I have in mind when I think of beach read. But anyway, hopefully we'll have a little something for everyone today. Seems like we're a pretty diverse group, huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although we're missing the manga. <laughs> oh, manga and graphic novels. Although we are going to, one of our upcoming prompts is manga. So yeah, Adam missed out. missed out on reading manga, but it doesn't really matter because he still read manga for every, yeah, <laughs> every <that's true>. prompt. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> we love you, Adam. <laughs> we miss you, Adam. For this month's prompt, you could almost say there was a tidal wave of choices. <laughs> LOL. Oh. <laughs> Picking up the puns. <laughs> Gary pointed out when I was trying to figure out what to read this month that there was a curated list called Ocean of Possibilities, a novelist. One of our fantastic resources that helps readers find the next great read. It is broken down into subcategories like Terror at Sea and Pirates and Mermaids. I, of course, use Terror at Sea to find my book, The Fisherman by John Langan, a title that has been languishing on my TBR for a few years now. The Fisherman is a Russian nest doll of a novel, a story within another story passed from person to person, essentially making the reader a willing or unwilling participant. It's told from the, from the perspective of Abe. The opening line, don't call me Abraham, call me Abe, sets the tone, evoking one of the greatest fishing stories ever written in Moby Dick. Abe starts off by mentioning to us the tragic fishing trip he took with his co-worker Dan to Dutchman's Creek, a swift-moving creek that is deeper than any creek has a right to be. 
located in the Catskills. We know something terrible happened out there, causing something horrible to befall Dan. He goes back to the beginning when he lost his wife Marie to cancer and Dan lost his family to a terrible car accident. These grief-stricken men find each other and find some solace in fishing. When they're on their way to Dutchman's Creek, a fishing spot Dan heard about, they stop at a local diner. The cook, Howard, asks them where they're going and starts telling them the story of the fisherman, a story he got from a preacher that used to frequent the diner. Howard's story centers on a girl named Lottie and her family and what they experienced when her father, Rainier, took a job constructing the dam for the Ashokan Reservoir around the turn of the century. And this story involves secret packs, the dead returning from the grave, and a mysterious figure known as a fisherman who is after the greatest catch of all time, the Leviathan, fishing for him on the shores of a black ocean. Once Abe and Dan hears this tale, they head up into the mountains to find Dutchman's Creek. Once they arrive at its banks, Dan reveals how he heard about the creek and why he wants to fish it so bad. Abe, following Dan upstream, leads him onto the shores of the Black Ocean to finally meet the fisherman. This story is all about grief and what one is willing to do to get one's loved ones back. A common thread it shares with Stephen King's Pet Cemetery, a book I recommended a few months ago. While the majority of the novel concerns Lottie's story and is quite interesting and thrilling, the novel really shines on Abe and Dan's relationship, really exploring their grief. At times, it can be a tad long-winded in parts, but when you think about it, what great fishing story isn't? At the heart of this novel, it is a cosmic horror story, so if you're a fan of Lovecraft and the Cthulhu mythos, or have read or watched Lovecraft Country on HBO, I would highly recommend this book. You can check it out from our adult collection or listen to the e-audio book through Hoopla Digital. I would pair this with the aptly named Leviathan Baltic Porter from Harpoon Brewery. Appearing like the black ocean in a glass, it has a nose of toasted biscuits and dark fruits with a dark chocolate and earthy finish. I like stories within stories. That's always a good and interesting device. Yes, like it. I love how they kind of play with the unreliable narrator when you get into that, and this person told it to this person and told it to this person, mm-hmm. and then you're getting the story. So, yeah, I like that when it's used. So do you ever, do you feel like you know what the real story is by the end, or are you still kind of wondering? No, I think you got a pretty good grasp of it. With it being a cosmic core, they kind of... Fill, fill you in or mm-hmm. or what the true story is mm-hmm. it's it's one of those books where you know you don't want to say too much about it mm-hmm. it'll give away too much of the plot in regards to the ending but mm-hmm. it's yeah it's really good mm-hmm. you know about cosmic horror i don't don't sorry <laughs> so well, if anybody doesn't know cosmic horror is a story that kind of deals with the insignificance of man or dealing with knowledge that is beyond human understanding. So like Cthulhu and these great old gods that have lived in the cosmos or under the ocean for before humans existed and before life existed and, you know, and humans just finding that, hey, they're really not anything special. Mm-hmm. So that's really deep. It, yeah, it, okay. I mean, and and, <laughs> Sorry. and I, I know I've done a few cosmic horror stories in the past, but like H.P. Lovecraft, mm-hmm. there's a, definitely a nod to him. Mm-hmm. But like, 
you know, he's very misogynistic and very racist in his writings. But now there's a bunch of authors that are taking those works and reimagining him, and which has been really awesome to see. Mm-hmm. So. Great. Well, thanks. My book is The Postscript Murders by Ellie Griffiths. The Postscript Murders is a standalone mystery novel that takes place primarily in Shoreham-by-Sea, a charming English village. It begins when Natalka, a 27-year-old caregiver from Ukraine, finds her client, 90-year-old Peggy Smith, dead in her chair. It's a death that wouldn't normally be suspicious. But then Natalka finds Peggy's business card, which lists her as a murder consultant. She also notices that Peggy's flat is full of crime novels dedicated to her with notes like, thanks for the murders and PS for PS. She contacts Detective Sergeant Harbender Cower who, along with Natalka and Peggy's other friends, begins to investigate Peggy's death. The book alternates between the points of view of this ensemble cast of diverse, quirky, and somewhat lonely characters who form a bond while investigating Peggy's murder. There's Edwin, who lives next door to Peggy in a senior community, Seaview Court. Edwin calls it Preview Court, as in a preview of death. Edwin is gay and a former BBC radio host. Peggy was one of his few friends, and her death has shaken him. Benedict, 32, is a former Catholic monk who now owns a coffee shop. The aforementioned Natalka has a bit of a troubled past, having been involved in a Bitcoin scheme back in Ukraine. Her brother has been missing since the 2014 conflict. And finally, there's D.S. Harbender Cower, a single, gay, Sikh woman in her mid-30s who still lives with her parents. Naturally, as they investigate, some of the writers Peggy knew begin dying in a manner that looks suspiciously like the way Peggy died. The Postscript Murders is the perfect beach read for fans of literary mysteries. The sea is often in the background or part of the scene, And at one point, the characters take a road trip to a literary festival in Aberdeen, Scotland, which is also by the sea. Book lovers will enjoy the -the behind-the-scenes look at mystery and crime authors. I found the characters to be likable, and the writing is both witty and insightful. Here's a favorite passage from Edwin's point of view. Quote, Benedict brings him tea and a rather delicious-looking scone. He divides the scone into three. Natalka eats hers in one bite. Benedict does his irritating nibbling again. Edwin tries not to look. It's quite exhilarating, being annoyed by someone, especially a friend. It's been a long time since he's spent so much concentrated time with other people. I read this back in February, and I didn't realize when I picked it up that one of the characters was from Ukraine. I appreciated learning about the 2014 Ukraine conflict with Russia, as I read. Fans of Louise Penny will appreciate this book's cozy setting and ensemble cast. They'll also appreciate the food descriptions. There are plenty of scones, 
brownies, and good coffee, not to mention the delicious Indian food that Harbinger's mother makes. Munch your way through the postscript murders with spicy, crisp, puffed rice nibbles, a recipe from Madder Jaffrey's book, Vegetarian India, a journey through the best of Indian home cooking. The recipe calls for cashews, peanuts, and puffed rice to be pan-fried with chilies, curry or basil leaves, and other Indian spices for a quick and delicious snack. Mmm. Yum. It sounded very cozy. <laughs> it was very cozy. <laughs> Your descriptions of the recipes always makes me want to go cook whatever you're talking about. Well, thank you. Yes, I haven't had the chance to try this particular one, but it does sound like something that would be fast and and good to try. It seems like it's kind of like an Indian check mix, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds delicious. In the recipe, she said she like she has is having people over to watch a movie or whatever. She like puts it in a paper cone and everybody gets their own little cone of mix. So, sounds pretty tasty to me. Yeah. My recommendation for a book with the ocean setting is The Siren by Kara Cass. You can find it using Kentucky Libraries Unbound, and it is in the teen library as well. The narrator begins the tale with an ocean storm. Colleen is a 20-year-old girl, and her family are sailing aboard a luxury liner sometime after the Wall Street crash of 1929. An ocean storm blows in, and Colleen and her family are drawn to this mysterious music. Her family goes on deck, and Colleen follows her family a little while later because she isn't feeling well. She has time to realize that everyone is drowning, and as she sees what's happening, she realizes that she's going to die, so she begs to, for her life to be spared. Her plea is heard, and she is told that she can live, but she must serve the ocean for a 100 years or die with the rest of her family. The ocean gives life to all creatures, but she must feed as well in order to provide life for everyone. And the ocean feeds on people. But the ocean lets Colleen live on the condition that she sings and lures these people to the sea, and then she gets life. The rest of the story takes place in modern day. We meet her sister sirens, Mika, Elizabeth, and Asling in Miami. The girls have immortality and beauty, but it is conditional upon their singing to lure others to their death. These girls seem to find happiness in their mythical lives. They have found many outlets for their long lives. After they serve their time, they will get to be human. The other sirens thrive studying art, fashion, and going to clubs. The girls so find solace in their search for identity, exploring the world. But Colleen is different. She is haunted by the lives she takes to serve the ocean. She is still unsure of her identity. She often goes to the ocean to seek familiar love and guidance that she lost when her parents drowned. She finds some solace in a special mother-daughter bond with the ocean and the bonds she forms with her sister, Sirens. She realizes she loves having a family, and the one thing she really wants is to have her own family. So after serving 80 years, she meets a kind, handsome boy. Most people just give up talking to her because she can't speak, because if she speaks, 
her voice is deadly. But this boy doesn't give up easily. And they fall in love. But she's worried that she's making a mistake. And when she risks everything to be with him, she puts them both in danger. And the ocean is angry at Colleen. And she's really mad. And when she's angry, she will punish her sirens. This tale has a lot of components of Han Christians Anderson version of The Little Mermaid. Even though the characters are sirens, I believe there is enough similarity to the tale to call it a retelling. The transformation of our hero reflects the character's search for her identity as she transforms from girl to siren to wife. The other sirens only seek to party and preserve selfish endeavors. They end up serving a longer sentence. One of her sisters is rewarded who serves a selfless life. She's rewarded and gets a new life at the end of her time. I think the ocean as a character is an interesting concept, and I like the symbolism of this. The ocean is home to so much life, and we need to care for the ocean because otherwise we'll all be in trouble. Cash does seem to punish those who do not leave wholesome lives. The girls are severely punished when they disobey the ocean who serves as a symbolic mother in the book. Cass stresses throughout the novel that Colleen has been a very good obedient daughter because she follows the rules. But when she breaks the rules, Cass does punish her. Like many typical YA novels, the author does stress a traditional lifestyle for her heroine. She does, however, include the concept of career and college for the young people. Another major theme of the book is relationships. Although the sirens are not related, they have lived as siblings for so long that they share a real unique sister bond. The book deals quite a bit with family and how the ocean is portrayed as a mother giving life to the girls and all the other ocean life. She nurtures, but she's controlling and doesn't want to let go when it is apparent to the reader that it's time. And some, sometimes that happens with mothers. <laughs> I would recommend this book for teens who are looking for a wholesome beach read and those who love fantasy retellings. And I would pair it with cake. The book is sweet, like the desserts that Colleen and Akinley love. And the re- this recipe reminds me of summer, picking berries, swimming, and just enjoying the sun. Uh, I found a yummy lemon layer cake with summer berries at Serious Eats. That sounds good. I mean, the book, but also the recipe. What? It's at Serious Eats. Um, it's a lemon cake, summer cake, and it's got berry, cream berries, raspberries, blackberries in the middle, like in this, as a, what would you call it? Like a filling. Mm-hmm. And then it also has you eating blackberries on the side. So mm-hmm. it just sounds really, it sounds light. And actually, Colleen and uh, their first date, Colleen and Akinley, the boy, uh, they actually make a cake on their first date. So, oh, and, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. Yeah, it's um, it sounds a little more complex than I think typical mermaid stories. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are. I did some research, and um, there's been quite a few retellings of the Little Mermaid. Mm-hmm. Like um, many of the first retellings. Um, the ending isn't quite as lovely as uh, as this one has a nice ending. And mm-hmm. uh, but uh, Hans Christian Andersen, when he wrote his Siren, he well his Little Mermaid retelling, he wanted the mermaid Little Mermaid to have a happy ending, which mm-hmm. she doesn't always in some of the tellings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I read a, um, I'm trying to think, I can't remember the name of it. I'll have to look it up and see if I can find it. Um, but I read a mermaid, it was like a mermaid and mystery <laughs> novel. So it had like fantasy and mystery. Mm-hmm. Um, and I talked about it on Books and Bites, but of course the title is eluding me but that mermaid the mer- the mermaid in that story was also kind of like dangerous to humans you know like mm. she wasn't you know I think we often yeah. picture the Disney yeah. <laughs> little mermaid <laughs> <laughs> but there is an element of danger I think yeah the mythical mermaids are pretty terrifying mm-hmm. I had there was two one was a graphic novel called the Sea of Sorrows which is about like a World War II sub running into some killer mermaids and there was another one into the drowning deep by mira grant which was another one about about a like a exploratory vessel that went missing and they're going to find it and they run into a bunch of killer mermaids yeah (laughs) and mermaids mermaid tales typically don't have a good ending sometimes the sea witch is another ya it's got fantasy Uh uh-huh mermaids and octopuses and they can be a little scary yeah <laughs> yeah a little horror for michael put in there <laughs> yeah i can always find the horror version of yes michael is, is good at finding the horror version <laughs> all right well thanks jacqueline for your first official Books and Bites podcast. How do, how do you feel now that it's... Yeah, I feel good. I enjoyed it. <laughs> I was a little nervous, but I think it... I hope I did well. You did, yeah. <laughs> and, I hope you, oh, sorry, go ahead. I, was saying, I hope they enjoyed listening to me. I'm sure they did. And next month, our theme is novellas, right? So books... Usually they're books under 200 pages. Yeah. Simply, yeah. So that's a pretty good, I think, and thing to read at the end of summer when maybe you're, you don't have as much time because you're thinking about getting back to the grindstone. Yeah. <laughs> School. Although work. here at the library, the summer is our busiest time. Yeah. So maybe it's just because uh, we wanted to read something yeah. short. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Books and Bites podcast. For more information about the Books and Bites reading challenge, visit our website at jesspublib.org forward slash books hyphen bites. Our theme music is The Breakers by Scott Whitten from his album In Close Quarters with the Enemy. Find out more about Scott and his music on his website at doorforadesk.com. 